0: you're listening to the christ church toronto podcast a recording of the sunday sermons from christ church toronto christ church toronto is a new church in toronto's east end that seeks to practice the ancient christian faith today we would love for you to join us in the future but until then please turn your attention to the scripture reading the scripture reading this morning is from philippians 4 verses 1 to 7. therefore my brothers and sisters whom i love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good.
1: Well, thank you so much, Micah. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we turn our attention to this passage. Would you pray with me? We are gathered here to encounter you in your word, O Lord our God. So as you promised, would you come and draw near to us, be gracious to us in our seeking, show us what we need to see, teach us what we need to learn, speak to us those words our ears need to hear. We pray this by the power of your spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the founder of the psychoanalysis movement, Sigmund Freud, over 80 years ago said, There is no question that the problem of anxiety is a riddle whose solution would be bound to throw a floodlight on our whole mental existence. Freud's understanding of anxiety was, if we could figure out how to deal with anxiety, we could get to the bottom, the foundational true human condition. And it's interesting, as various societies have approached the subject of anxiety, the way they approach anxiety shows forth what they see as the fundamental human problem. The ancient Greeks saw anxiety as a medical condition and they sought medical remedies. The Enlightenment philosophers saw anxiety as an intellectual problem and they thought they sought airtight arguments to help the anxious soul. The existentialists saw anxiety as a spiritual problem. During the Gilded Age, anxiety was nothing more than stress induced by the Industrial Revolution. Freud, of course, saw anxiety as nothing more than the outworking of sexual inhibition. Today in the West, we primarily see anxiety as a malfunctioning biomechanic element of our body. Unless you're in the fitness world and the self-help world, then anxiety is nothing more than the weakness of the mind trying to hold back the body from its full potential. I'm nervous to speak about anxiety, especially on Facebook and YouTube. I'm nervous to touch it. I don't know who exactly is listening to this sermon and I want to be incredibly, incredibly careful. Paul talks about anxiety in verse 6. But when we speak of anxiety in our world, we speak of a a whole scale of of health issues. There's a certain type of anxiety that in some senses, is good. If you lacked that ordinary anxiety, you would have great consequences in your life. It gives you certain protections you need to function. But that anxiety can go all the way to a scale where it becomes dehabilitating, where it creates problems and disorders in your life. And I want you to know from the onset of the sermon... That what I'm about to give should not be construed as medical advice. I am not a medical expert as it relates to anxiety and when I speak of anxiety I'm mostly thinking of that excessive and persistent fear that lingers a little longer than ordinary. There are other types of anxieties, anxieties that can be induced by medications or allergies, induced by your body changing, that can be anxiety that is birthed out of trauma not properly being worked through. I want you to know that if those are the types of anxieties you're experiencing, or if you think of anxiety, you think of those explosions, those panic attacks that make it impossible for you to function properly, you certainly, certainly, certainly should consider talking to a doctor about these things. Don't construe what I'm talking about as medical advice. When I'm talking about anxiety, I think the Bible's actually talking about an excessive and persistent fear, but not to the level of becoming a disorder. I think there'd be two errors we could encounter as we read the Bible. One way to be an error would be to read the Bible and assume it has nothing to say for us modern people. We're so incredibly unique and advanced that it's just a primitive book. I think another error, though, would be to read the Bible as though it is a medical prescription dealing with exactly uh, all types of anxieties today. Listen, my understanding of anxiety is it is a natural expression of our body, of the fact that we are weak, that we are frail, and that various situations of our life show our fragility. And when we feel our fragility, anxiety wells up inside of us as a protection measure. There's something about it that's natural. And dare I say about it, something about it that's important to our survival in this world. I think from the onset, it's important for me to say that there's no reason to assume when you feel anxiety, this always equals sin. In fact, I, I don't think there's a reason to assume in any of your anxiety that it's almost certainly sin unless it's proven to be not sin. Anxiety is just an expression of weakness and weakness is never presented in the Bible as a Sin weakness is presented as something that our lord draws near with and aids us in and, and shows himself to be strong for us in the midst of. So there's a certain element of anxiety, these persistent fears that are expected in life in a fragile world and I think in this passage Paul wants to talk to anxious people. He's writing to an anxious church, their founders in jail. They're divided. There's rivalry all over the city. The Christian church has become a mockery of what it once was. Some have abandoned the faith. Some are just pursuing earthly things. Paul actually goes out of his way this morning to address a particular fight going on in the church between Judea and Syntyche, and he doesn't give any details about the fight. He just tells them to get along in the Lord. Paul's message this morning is a message for an anxious church, and I think it's a good word for us. We're an anxious group of Christians. I think we're wondering what it's going to be like to be a Christian as we increasingly become minorities in society. We're wondering how in the world we can maintain the faith as we continue to learn about things like residential schools and clergy abuse scandals. We're wondering how are we going to pass on the faith to our kids when there's so much abuse and even trauma that has come as a result of the work of the church. Well, it's in the face of this anxiety, I think Paul wants to teach us how to be a non-anxious presence to our city. And he's going to tell us there's something we must know, Then he's going to tell us there's something we must do, and he's going to end our time by telling us there's something that we're going to find. So Paul, to this anxious church, he wants them to be a non-anxious presence of Christ in the city. And he's going to say, in the face of your anxiety, there's something you must know if you're going to stand firm in the faith. Now, where do we see that? Three times in this passage, Paul says, he uses this little prepositional phrase, in the Lord. Verse 1, stand firm in the Lord. Verse 2, agree in the Lord. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. This little prepositional phrase is so important to Paul, and that's why he repeats it three times. It feels like a refrain throughout his advice. It seems as though Paul's whole reason for writing the book of Philippians might be to address Judea and, and Sainteche. It seems like Uh, he needs to deal with a major, major battle and fight that is going on between these two women, his fellow co-workers in the gospel. And while we would want Paul to let us know the details of the fight, and we want him to give an authoritative, nuanced answer to help these two women move forward, what Paul wants these women to know, and what he wants the whole church to know, is that before they're going to make any progress, before they can manifest a non-anxious presence in their city, They must know where they are. They are in the Lord. Paul doesn't do this to say that their conflict is unimportant. He doesn't do this because he lacks the authority to actually render a verdict in in the various conflict that's going on. I think he does this because he knows their conflict is, is a result of them not understanding where they are. They are in the Lord. Listen, when you have a bad dream, when you wake up, Maybe you only remember it when you were a child. But what is the first thing you start to realize which breaks you out of the sweats, which gets you, your fear starts to dissipate? You have to figure out where you are. You're not drowning. You're not falling off a cliff. You're not in hospital. You're in your bed. You've been sleeping. You must have been drink, dreaming. Dreaming. And Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, in this anxious time where there's these two warring parties, where these women seem to be really at odds with one another, he's saying, listen, you've got to understand where you are. You are in Christ. You are legally and spiritually connected with and bonded with the Lord Jesus. If the story of the gospel is true, that Jesus lived this ideal life, he died this martyr's death... And God was pleased with his behavior and resurrected him from the dead. That death could not hold him down. That death lost its power in Jesus. That Jesus was resurrected from the dead, never to die again. That he's now in heaven. If this story is true, and if you lay hold of this news, Paul is saying this is where your truest identity lies. Death can't hold you down. You are alive with Jesus. When you are loyal to him, your faith links you up like a marriage, and you're bonded with Jesus. Jesus is like your member of parliament. He now represents you in heaven, and what he accomplishes and does for you, the benefits of it come down to you as part of the people that he represents. You are legally treated as he deserves to be treated, because he chose to be treated the way you deserve to be treated. You are like a branch connected to the vine. You draw from him into yourself the very benefits of his life so that you can taste and experience life unending even today. To the anxious and to the fighting, Paul wants you to know where you are. You're not just molecules colliding with other molecules in an indifferent universe. No, no. You've got to step back and see the big picture. You are united to the one who defeated death and turned back the destruction and corruption of the earth. He now represents you. You are bonded up with him. Therefore, you can rejoice always. And when you get this, when you see this, the various nuances of your arguments become somewhat petty. They often begin to melt, and you have new courage in the face of anxieties. So in a world filled with anxieties, Paul first says, you must know where you are. You're united to Christ. But in a world filled with anxieties, Paul then tells us there's something you must do. He gives three actual instructions to the anxious. He says they must rejoice in the Lord, they must demonstrate their reasonableness, and they must pray. Rejoice in the Lord, verse 4. Our our minds think of sort of this individual happy person, but I am convinced Paul is saying this to the whole church. He's saying, uh, don't just rejoice and be happy, always thinking positive thoughts. Rejoice in the Lord. You as a church, come together, sing and celebrate what God has done. You are in Christ, together. This is why I think it's so important that we come together and remind one another and sing over one another in our seasons of doubts and fears and anxieties, what God has done. We remind each other of the truest story of this world. And we consider going home maybe keeping the bulletin by our bedside, reading through the prayers again, singing the songs one more time, maybe going through Spotify and listening to songs that encourage and stimulate us to rejoice in what God has done. This is how we face our anxieties. But Paul goes on and says in verse 2, we also ought to make our reasonableness known. And in verse 5, sorry, this is the second thing he says, and reasonableness is difficult to translate It means something like gentleness, maybe forbearance, or even moderation. Uh, It's referring to the idea that we're almost to be uh, self-effacing. We're supposed to be famous for, or known for, the fact that we are self-effacing, that we turn attention away from us. There's some kind of irony in what Paul is calling for. He's saying be known for not attracting too much attention to yourself, being even-tempered. Now, I don't believe that Paul's saying you should be known for being sort of unemotional. No. I think Paul is saying, though, that where you are located, your union with Christ, your connection with Christ, should be such a deep and core part of your identity that whether you are facing the greatest suffering you will ever feel in your life or you are experiencing the greatest victories and joys you will ever experience in your life, you have a sure and steady disposition The loss of job doesn't devastate you. Christ is your rock. But major promotions and major influences in the world and and status in this world don't become your foundation of your identity. You're steady. You're the same person you were prior to that promotion. Paul is saying this gentleness will destroy conflict in the church. It'll keep everyday fears and anxieties in check. Where do you need to work on this? Where do you need to avoid being self-promoting? You might not be someone who promotes yourself publicly. Maybe it's just something you do in your heart. You demand recognition. You mock others. Listen, let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your moderation be known to all. Paul says rejoice. Paul says show forth your gentleness. In verse 6, Paul says that we're to pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now, I know in first read, this is the kind of frustrating Bible advice that that drives you crazy. You know, in your daily fears, and your daily worries and anxieties, just pray and you'll feel better. You know, I can hear people saying that now. I tried that. It didn't work. The more I pray, the more I feel anxious. Well, Paul's pushback to you, I think, would be to help you think through how your worries, how your anxieties work. In anxiety, what happens? Is anxiety not your body crying out to your mind saying, hey, pay attention help. Something that is important to me is about to be lost. Something that is close to uh, close, something that is essential is close to falling apart. I am in trouble. Is that not what your heart is screaming out to you in those anxious moments? When you're worried in the midst of a relationship that it's falling apart, your body is saying, don't go to sleep. Think through all the possible scenarios that could be destroying this relationship and work to fix it. Think through all the ways this relationship could get worse and protect yourself from those sorts of things. Is this not what anxiety does to you? It carries this conversation uh, between your body and yourself. And Paul is saying that if that is how anxiety works, Paul is saying play anxiety strategy right back to it. Talk to your, when your body talks to you, take what your body says and lift these things up, elevate these things up to the Lord, cry these things out to the Lord immediately. Run the request right up the chain of command. Your body is fearful, saying "I need you need to protect yourself because you can envision all these ways in which this relationship can be detrimental on you and ultimately harm you. Run this immediately up to the Lord. Ask for his aid. Ask for his help. Speak to God. Speak forth your fears. Speak forth all the details as to why you feel overwhelmed. Otherwise, anxiety will just keep a short-circuit dialogue in your body where you go deeper and deeper and deeper into your fears. Break the circuit, by crying out to God. But it's not just that you cry out to God. There's a specific type of prayer that we're called to pray. Our requests are to be made with thanksgiving. What in the world? In the midst of worry, in the midst of anxiety, how are we to give thanks? We don't know how God's going to answer our prayers, if he's going to answer our prayers. How are we to give thanks? Well, we're to pray and give thanks that he listens to us, And give thanks ahead of time that we know he's going to work. We're to pray, God, I have no clue how you're going to work, but I thank you ahead of time that however you choose to work is going to ultimately work out for my good. We're to run every prayer, as one pastor says, through the filter of knowing we are united to Jesus. Every prayer request is seen in the context of this bigger story of the cross of Jesus, where God demonstrated his love in a way no one understood. The greatest story and human history climaxed in what felt like the greatest tragedy. And if that can be true, no matter what tragedy we feel is ahead of us, we can trust God can work these things for good. I could go on. What do we need to know? We need to know where we're located. We're bonded with Jesus. What do we need to do? We need to rejoice. We need to let our gentleness be known, and we need to offer up thanksgiving prayers. Finally, what will we find, briefly? We see it in verse 5. We'll find that the Lord is at hand. Then in verse 7, we'll see the peace of the Lord guarding our hearts and minds. This is what you will experience. This is what you'll face in the midst of your anxious moments, of your worry. A divine peace that slowly starts to overwhelm your life. You'll know exactly, you will get exactly what you need. The God of peace to draw near to you. You see, in the midst of worry, in the midst of anxiety, what happens? Do you not feel small? Do you not feel little? And what gets you out of this dilemma? Someone bigger, someone greater. You need something bigger or greater to overshadow your fears. Listen, when your kids have bad dreams and they run into the room, what do they want? Do they want a parent to produce a well-argued, reasoned argument as to why there is no monster under the bed? A logical argument they can't get around? No! No, they want to be near you. They want to be present with you. The monster won't get them when they are with you. They need your presence because you are bigger. You are safe. This is what God promises to do. He will draw near. This is the experience of so many psalmists. The Lord is my shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. This will be our experience over and over and over again. In the face of anxiety, when you know where you are, in the face of anxiety, when you rejoice and you live gently and you offer up prayers of thanksgiving, anxiety will become for you this high-pressure season where you actually, in the end, experience the nearness of God in His presence. You'll experience the military of heaven guarding your heart and mind. So that like a terrified child snuggling up next to their parent, you can experience peace and rest again. And in the face of your anxiety, rather than being debilitated, unable to move forward because of the anxiety, you can ask, God, what are you leading me to now? Will you? Where are you leading me? Though it's the, sh- the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I know you are with me. What are you calling me to do today? Listen, I had to be careful here. I have a lot more thoughts about this. I don't want to be construed as giving medical advice, especially as it relates to anxiety disorders. Again, this should not be construed as medical advice. But I do think there are daily worries, daily anxieties, most of us know quite a bit about, most of us experience quite a bit in our life. And I think this passage tells us in moments of worry, in moments of our daily anxiety, we have a chance to ask ourselves, do we really believe the story of the Bible is true? that the God who made the heavens and earth only by his word, that he loves me, that the God who sustains and ensures that the moon spins around the earth and that the stars are all in their place and that every molecule doesn't go rogue, that that God hears my prayers and draws near to me, that he sent his son to die for me, that he's working in human history to bring about my good and my glory and my flourishing. You see, you'll never know what faith is and what faith feels like until you learn to express it in seasons of worry. When your mind is telling you God isn't going to come through, that he isn't good, that he isn't going to live, that he's abandoned you, that he's ignored your suffering, that you've fallen through the cracks of history. It's at that very moment that you will have to tell yourselves that at the cross of Christ, no one could see any good ending to this story. As God's Son was sitting there embracing the suffering, as darkness came over the earth, That moment which felt like nothing in the world could be worse was the moment in which the greatest salvation, the hope of the world, the glory for all of God's people was won and brought and burst forth into this world. It's only in the moments of worry, only in those moments of sustained fear, that you can learn what it feels like to put your faith, however feeble and fragile it is, in Jesus. And as you put your faith in him, you will experience the peace of God guarding your heart and mind. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.